Hey, when does the show start? Hey, wait a minute. <gasps> First, let's hear from our sponsors. Oh, okay. In just a minute. New year, new problems, possibly, unless you got Mad Dog Manny Aurora, the man, the myth, the legend. Aurora Law Firm, specializing in criminal law, pops by the BS twice a month if you have any questions for him. You can always leave it either on our social media. You can shoot us an email by going to our website, podcastthebs.com, or you can call our hotline and leave it there, 404-369-3825. Even possibly set up a one-on-one with you and Mad Dog Manny on the show. He's handled litigation in 19 states, represented many clients, including professional athletes, law enforcement agents, lawyers, and politicians, top 100 national trial lawyers he is the man mad dog manny aurora the aurora law firm.com the aurora law firm.com the a-r-o-r-a law firm.com did you know in 2022 19.86 percent of adults experienced a mental illness issue it's equivalent to nearly 50 million americans just under five percent are experiencing a severe mental illness So what does that tell you? That means maybe you, possibly your friends, maybe your family need some help. Sometimes it's hard to turn to the person right next to you and you need to find that neutral third party. Ridgeline Counseling, Dr. David Markwell and his therapist, they've been uh, with the BS for quite some time, a personal friend and the best at what he does. Markwell Therapy com works with children, adolescents, adults. They offer Spanish-speaking counseling services. They accept insurance, offer self-pay options. Three Georgia locations, East Cobb, Marietta, right near the square, and McKaysville, outside of Blue Ridge. But you can always get to them virtually. MarkwellTherapy.com. If you or someone you know needs help, just reach out. MarkwellTherapy.com. We all got to have insurance, right? Or even possibly change insurance, which a lot of people don't know it's a thing and usually saves you a lot of cash. Sean Camp at Country Financial, he's the man. Looking for a new car, you're going to need insurance. You want to get a hold of Sean Camp. A new boat, a new motorcycle, buying a house, all these different things. Sean Camp at Country Financial is going to help you uh, with and walk you through. I wish that my mother would have talked to Sean Camp at Country Financial. She would have had comprehensive, and I wouldn't have had to bought her new windshield. All right, how do you get a hold of Sean? 678-519-9028. 678-519-9028. Make sure you say the BS sent you, right? Get a little extra special rubdown. Sean.camp at countryfinancial.com. You can shoot him an email. S-H-A-U-N dot C-A-M-P at countryfinancial.com. The camp agency at Country Financial, it's your one-stop shop for all your insurable needs. It's time, ladies and gentlemen. After all these years in the radio business, Jason Bailey is finally unfiltered. I don't know what you want. With his bestest buddy and producer, all the way from Mexico, it's Nate Dude. Sit back, enjoy. Here is the podcast that is all about intellectually immature nonsense. Are a very particular set of skills. You will love it. Why? Because I'm Jason's neighbor. I'm old man Kevin. (laughs) And by God, this is the BS. There it is, episode 141 of The BS. Thanks for being here. My name is Jason Bailey in the Golden Scissors studio. No Nate on this episode. He's still traveling the world. 
There he is in the Zelensky Studios in Noonan, Georgia. The B-Man, Brandon Thrasher. The sweat rings on the BS hat. How are you, B-Man? I'm doing pretty good. How about y'all? Good. In the studio with me. She's smart, salacious, vivacious. She's the D, Nikki D. That is me. Good morning. I finally can see the BS on your hat. I haven't been able to see it before right now. What'd you think it was? Or what'd you see? Just like a white circle? Yeah, it was just a circle. And I'm like, I don't see no BS, but now I can finally see it. We need to get him a new hat. Actually, it's gross. I kind of like it. I I like the sweat rings. I think it's a good look. Almost like supposed to be there. Hard working hat. Yeah. But I can get you a job absorbing. I can get you a new hat if you want one. Like if you want want a work hat and a be cool hat. A be cool hat. Yeah. Yeah. Let me get a couple of them. Yeah. I can get you a couple of them. Sure. Great. You got to come and get them, though. That's the only problem. Oh, shit. All right. <laughs> You're going to be in the area anytime soon? Uh, Maybe. I don't know. I lost. This is my second hat. I lost the other one on the ski lift when I went skiing and then I had to wear this one. Yeah, I can give you a couple hats. That's fine. Yeah, I like hats. You just got to come over and get them. That's fine. I got to unload some of this merchandise sooner than later. I better grab me some then. I don't have no T-shirts or nothing. Well, you get it before you leave the house today. I should. You know, just go out there to the caddy shack is where it's all loaded up and ready to rock and roll. Do you like that vape thing? I, I got to tell you, I I, I I think people that vape look silly. <laughs> I just, I, that's not the word I wanted to use, but it, it's, it's, I don't know why people vape. I don't get it. It's, it's Tastes good. It's why nicotine. do people smoke? Why do people dip? Because they just want to do it. Smoking looks cool. Dipping looks cool. Vaping. Vaping does look cool to people that don't vape. I think it looks cool. I like how they can blow the smoke and do rings. I think it's cool. Vaping is not cool. It's like you're putting your lips up against your phone. No, because they have all the cool, colorful little doohickey yeah. ones. And That's I like the apple. ones like um, one of my friends. She's always she just looks so cute and proper. And she has that real like skinny one. And like she just puts it in her lips and blow it. It looks cool to me. I wish I could do it. Looks like you're blowing a beeper. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, it's weird the the vapes like every like few months a different brand will take over. Right now it's Elf bars and like Geek bars, but they've all went to the same design, so they're they're kind of like this now. Mm. And it, it's just like your Nick fix. Is that what it is? Yeah, that's where I get my nicotine from. Okay. Sometimes I dip a little bit, but then it gets all on my teeth, and then I got to spit it out. And sometimes it's too much nicotine, yeah. and you can't really do it in public real easy because then you're like spitting globs and trying to drink drink, and you know, vaping just doing it in between. So there is nicotine in that. Yeah. Uh huh. Uh huh. This is the perfect because you you can hit this in a restaurant and you hit this everywhere. I've only been told twice that I can't vape in there, and then I just got to hide it a little better. Yeah, I, they just, have some that just got fruit in it. Can you imagine if James Dean or John Wayne vaped instead of smoked in their movies. Like, it's just not as cool. I'm not yeah. saying I people mean, should smoke. It's bad for you, obviously. Yeah. Dipping is all, it's all bad for you. That's public service announcement. But there's maybe it's just because of my age and I grew up at the tail end of that generation. You know, smoking was cool. Where, yeah, there was still the idea in the 80s where smoking was cool. I'm going to tell you the only cool smoking thing I've ever looked at and thought that's cool. My mom used to smoke them real skinny cigarettes. A Slims, Virginia Slims. <laughs> Virginia Slims. <laughs> I used to be like, I want to smoke skinny cigarettes. <laughs> I never did, though. I, I always <laughs> thought the filter list, the Pall Malls and the Camels, when guys smoked that, that was just badass. And they would spit the tobacco out because there's no filter. So after they took a puff, they'd go, but it wasn't like a full spit. It was a, it was a, it was a sputter. It was a, 
I, I just something about that thought was cool. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Sounds real enjoyable. Spitting out tobacco. I I, tr- I tried to, to to be a smoker. I just couldn't do it. Like it's just the smell and the way it made me feel and stuff. I but never liked the smell of smoke. When I when I was in middle school, I would steal Paul Malls out of the lockers of the old guys at the the tennis place, and then we would go in the woods and smoke them. And it was just. I just I was just trying too hard. But that's another thing about the vape that I do like. It doesn't smell like anything. Well, it does. It does. They've got different smells. They got mint and meth. But it doesn't smell stink like cigarettes. That's why they're. Ba- yeah, it's not super overpowering either. No, I agree with that. Yeah, but mm-hmm. th- that that's why they're banning the, the the vapes are getting more banning. They're they're banning more in the vapes, which is probably you know more to the story with the big companies and stuff. But then they are in cigarettes because of the flavors, because it's inviting to kids. Yep. So there are some states that you cannot buy flavored vape stuff or even vape stuff. You can't buy mint skull like in California. They don't sell anything flavored in tobacco. You can't buy mint skull. You can't buy cherry. You can't buy peach. You can't buy wintergreen. They just have straight. If oh. you're a dipper, you have to dip straight skull or Copenhagen. Oh, so you they better be legit and real. You can't be faking it. Well, they, they do. Stuff. They do that because you know, and and that, by the way, is 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 rolling thunder. I mean, that's 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 a thing that's happening in the United States in general. I mean, probably more for the bluer states than there are for the redder states. But it's it's a it's a thing. The South, I don't know if it'll ever over. You know, because the South is still tobacco area. True. You know where tobacco it's a, fields, yeah, all that stuff. where it's where it's a crop. So. Um, you know, but when you go out, to, like even up north, I think Chicago, New York, and all those places, they're they're not doing the flavored stuff anymore. I don't think, hmm. and they've upped the price of tobacco to a, to a point where you don't want to do it because you can't afford it. I think somebody told me a pack of cigarettes now is like eight dollars. In Chicago, it's like ten dollars. Ooh, I would have been quit smoking. In Florida, they've upped the price. A can of dip, a can of skull, is like seven dollars. And dang. how much did it used to be? Three. Well, let me tell you, when I was in Wingate, North Carolina, between 93 and 95, I could buy a log of Skull, which is 10 cans, for $10. Whoa. It was a dollar a can. Gas was 89 cents. Makes it seem like I grew up in the 50s. It definitely sounds like that. You know, but that's how much it was. And that was a lot to me at the time because I was in college and I was broke. I was poor. Think about that. Seven dollars. Seven dollars. So, but you know what? People that are addicted to stuff like that, regardless of how much they raise the prices to, I still don't know a smoker who like, oh, the pack of cigarettes went up too much. I'm not gonna smoke no more. I don't know one person. They just still buy it. Yeah, you're right. People that aren't well off with money still find a way to buy tobacco, alcohol, and weed, and lottery tickets, and weed, and weed. Yes. Yeah. Chronic. Yep. Crazy. Yeah tragic how much do you spend a week on that stuff uh i usually get one they're usually about 20 bucks and they usually last me about a week week and a half it's not terrible after sex do you do you do you blow the beeper yeah everyone does is, is that a thing is that a, is that a yeah. thing like like having a cigarette after sex you yeah you vape be like, where's my vape at where's it at where's it at really so, I didn't hit it. so you're addicted to that I just like the flavor i mean uh, i'll say the cliche i could probably quit if i wanted to but <laughs> just it just tastes good yeah, be something to do. Last time I vaped was at a White Snake concert. My buddy had a, a a one hitter, and he gave it to me. And I think we we're at Chastain, and I got so sick 
Like, I don't know why. I don't know. Maybe it had nothing to do with the vape or what, but, like, my chest, everything, I got so... Like, that's when I felt like I had COVID before COVID existed. Oh. like What's, I, a, what's a one-hitter vape? Well, maybe it was a one-hitter pen for weed. I don't know. That's probably what it was. Probably a weed pen. That's probably why it felt weird. Weed pen or something. So, anyway. So, whenever I do the vapes, um, my friends laugh because I don't inhale. I just like blowing smoke. Oh, yeah. Can you do the rings? I haven't figured them out yet. I keep trying. Have you ever shotgunned with a guy? No. You know what that is? Yeah. Yeah. Well, he blows smoke in your face. No, in your mouth. Face, mouth. Yeah. Your butt, wherever. I don't. Well, I don't know. If a guy has to blow smoke up your butt, I think I'd question that man. I'd, I'd want to know what's going on in the relationship. That's <laughs> <laughs> kind of weird. Hey, honey, we've done everything, but <laughs> pun intended. <laughs> All right. Raise the hands if uh, anybody thinks that we're under attack by aliens. Oh, I hope so. You you hope so. Yeah. Nikki? I don't think be interesting. So. All right. So why do we keep in, in, just after this Chinese spy weather balloon that we shoot down? Now we're shooting down things like every day. Like we've already shot down, what is it? Four high, they're called, they're HAOs, high altitude objects. Mm-hmm. We've already shot them down. The White House had to come out and say, we're not under attack by aliens. We're not shooting down alien spy craft. So what are you shooting down then? They're well, saying they're shooting down metallic balloons. Why are there metallic balloons flying over the United States? Who do they belong to? And can I please have some more information, sir? I think that they're kind of overreacting a little bit because of that Chinese spy balloon. Because I know two of the objects that they shut down, one of them, they said the size was like the size of a car. And the other one was a smaller balloon. Um, but it was kind of still like a balloon, like how the Chinese surveillance balloon was. So I'm like, this stuff didn't just all of a sudden start coming over here. I think they're just overreacting now and just shooting everything down. But the, but they're shooting something down. Yeah. But They're what, objects, but I mean, they didn't just start becoming objects this month. Stuff been flying around here, and they haven't been shooting it down. So my question is, why are y'all shooting everything down now? Well, why have there been things flying over all this time? Because it just does. Because it's in the air, and stuff just flies. Yeah, not metallic balloons. They don't just fly <laughs> just unless fly. somebody puts them up there. <laughs> this isn't James and the Giant Peach. <laughs> So the first was the Chinese spy balloon that landed in the Atlantic off South Carolina. The second was something the size of a small car that was shot down over northeast Alaska. Um, that one was lower. It was about 40,000 feet. Keep in mind, when you get in an airplane, usually level out at about 31,000 feet, right? So mm-hmm. both of these things flying over normal altitude of an aircraft. Saturday, uh, a third object was shot down over the Yukon in Canada, And that was fairly close to where the second one was shot down. So the U.S. and Canada coordinated it, but a U.S. plane ultimately took it down. Then the fourth one was shot down over Lake Huron. Um, The Air Force and the National Guard handled that one. That was lower. That was about 20,000 feet, which makes me think that there's some ass jack just putting things in the air now to see if they'll get shot down. (laughs) There's going to be a YouTube channel on it. So airspace over Michigan, that was briefly shut down the other uh, week or day. Uh, it was ac- actually spotted on radar day earlier over Montana. And uh, officials first said it was a radar anomaly. And now the Pentagon says it was the same object they ultimately destroyed over Michigan. So what are they? And the government's not saying other than they're metallic balloons. 
Um, they're not really giving us much information. All they're saying is they're collecting data from it to see where it's coming from and what it's tracking and, and what they're trying to find out. But it's like, y'all know more than that. Yeah. I mean, excuse me for being worried about this, but <laughs> this freaks me out. I mean, like out of all the things that are going on in the world right now, like this freaks me out more than Russia shooting a nuclear missile at us. Just to know that there's something in our house, there's something in our airspace that we're just now shooting down if these things have been going on for quite some time. Like, dude, if you don't belong here, shoot the damn thing down. You but got- it's not cheap to just go shoot these things down. And that's part of the problem, too, that people are concerned about is the amount of money it costs to shoot off missiles at stuff. It's not cheap. Oh, we don't ever think that we're going to go broke. We've got tons of money. We can print money if we need to. <laughs> we waste money for the most absurd things. On a daily basis. I'm not talking about you and me, her and him. I'm talking about the government. They waste money. So they're sending billions of dollars to uh, Ukraine right now that they could be given to me. They could be giving it to you. You're absolutely right. You know, instead of taking care of people uh, here because they feel the need to send it over to Ukraine after it's been over a year and nothing has been accomplished over there. Absolutely. I don't know what the long game is there, (laughs) but I'm worried about these balloons. I want to know what they are. Like, they could be alien spacecraft, right? They're not aliens. <laughs> aliens exist, but the things they're shooting down right now aren't aliens. I don't know. They're just the Chinese. Yeah, I, I think we've been shooting them down for a while, but now it's just been popping up all over the place. And they're like, oh, shit, what do we, what do we, tell, what do we tell the people? They, they, they're seeing this shit, too, so what do we tell them? And they're like, oh, we, we can't tell them it's aliens, but it might be aliens, and they might just be, like, desensitizing us to it. So when the aliens do come, they're like, oh, yeah, I guess we were wrong. They were aliens. Oh, that's a good theory. I like that. But if, if they've been shooting this stuff down for quite some time, we would know. Somebody would see it, right? Uh, see, that's what I'm saying. Maybe they were shooting it down in places people don't live, or maybe that the crazy guy that you thought was crazy is for real. Because we can't deny that these things, these UFOs exist. No. I mean, I'm not saying they're aliens, but UFOs do exist. There's picture proof. There's video proof of things that we cannot explain in the sky that fly in a way that we don't we can't we don't have the technology to Mm -hmm. so and they're never explained and great word desensitized we've become so desensitized to seeing these images or like oh it's just another ufo and then like 10 minutes later you'll get in an argument with somebody about no aliens don't exist ufos don't exist dude you literally just saw one like you literally just saw a ufo UFO doesn't mean it's an alien. It means it's an unidentified flying object. It means you don't know what it is. You don't know what that. You don't know what it's capable of. Right. You don't know what the hell the damn thing is. And they're flying over all the time. Mm -hmm. Like to the point now where the United States government has to release documentation on this stuff because people are sick of being lied to. But I don't even think the documentation that they're releasing, they still aren't telling us the whole truth. So we're still being lied to. Oh, absolutely. Well, you, they've got to lie to us. <laughs> I don't mind them lying to us because, you know, it's just like you lie to your kids. right? But you lie to your kids. Everybody wants to know all the whole truth and everything. We can't handle the truth. No. We have to be lied to. <laughs> no. You know, like, People think, will panic. Th- think about when you're told the truth about something and how you react and when you're lied to and don't know the truth. Like, and you don't know you're being lied to. You have no emotion. You have no reaction because you don't know what's going, you're being lied to. You're being told what you want to hear. When people hear what they don't want to hear, that's why I've always told people, don't ask a question that you might not like the answer to. Oh, I say that all the time too. 
And people do it all the time. And then they're pissed at me and I'm the bad guy and all this stuff. And you just, all you have to do, Nikki, is repeat. I told you not to ask me the question <laughs> if you didn't want the answer that you didn't want. <laughs> this is your fault, not my fault. Every time. Every single time. Now, would you rather, Brandon, them say to you, hey, look, uh, we want to come clean. These are aliens. They're invading. They've been invading our airspace. We've shot them down. Nothing to see here, but we just want it to be straight with you guys. Uh, yeah, I mean, I would like them to tell me that, but like Nikki was saying, there's probably a lot of people that just start panicking. I mean, I know I'd still probably be freaked out, but you would definitely be paying more attention to the news and figuring out if they're kid aliens. I don't aliens. want them to tell me. They that. might be. They might be pissed that we're shooting them down. I mean, aliens got to come to us at some point and be like, look, guys, we're being cool with you. Stop fucking shooting us down, man. <laughs> That's the fifth one this week, you bastards. <laughs> you guys think you have a money problem. <laughs> we keep sending these weather balloons down to you guys. You keep shooting them down. Stop it. That's alien talk. That's alien talk. Yeah. You don't want to know. I don't want to know. Yeah, no. I don't think I want to know because either. I would be paranoid. I'd be living in paranoia. I'd be looking at you like, "Are you an alien?" And I don't know you're an alien. You've been here. It would freak me out. I don't want to know. Yeah, we're getting closer though. I'm telling you, we'll we'll know in our lifetimes. Yeah, for sure. About, I'm kind of excited. It'd be fun. Oh God, I'm not. I do not like to get off schedule. That's going to change everything up. The whole world might change. They might come to you, man. You start talking about it. They might come to you and be the first podcast with an alien on it. That I could work with. That I can do. Do you know that we were just, I mean, kind of side note, but you know that we were, just, I don't know why Australians and aliens just popped in my head, but we were just uh, mentioned in an Australian magazine. Really? Oh, for doing the report with that guy? Yeah. Lost his arm? The, there's Damn. there's an investigative journalist that works for, I have to find it, but I guess it's a pretty big publication over there. And uh, let me find it. Should have wrote it down. Yeah. Is this still for the guy who's facing the charges? Or yeah, this is a big deal over there. I guess. Sheesh. Um, I thought it was the Paul de Gelder. Mm-mm. The guy who's facing oh, those no, no, charges. No, 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 no. It's called the Australian. That's what the publication's called, the Australian. And we're on page three, and the investigative mm. investigations and audio producer Kristen Shorten, Canabera. Um, the Australian. Yeah. And they say our show name and everything. Yeah. She writes, she goes, hi, Jason. I'm an investigative journalist at the Australian newspaper of investigating and reporting extensively on the fatal chopper crash that killed Outback Wrangler cast member, Chris Wilson. I listened to and wrote a story about your interview with Matt Wright, which I thought I'd send you in case you missed it. Here's the link. Keep up the great work. Kind regards. Oh, wow. Isn't that nice? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm like, sorry, I guess this guy was very nice when we had him on, but. You're like, famous in Australia. Uh, yeah. Wait, is Matt Wright the bad guy? Yeah. I, I so oh, I, damn. I guess what happened what and he talked about this when I asked him. And and the funny thing is, is I didn't even ask him until like towards the end of the conversation, uh, because I ran across uh it, it had just like kind of started to break. And I ran across it was like a side story, and I and I hadn't heard or seen anything about it so i wasn't trying to be scoopy i was just like well this is kind of odd that this is out there nobody i haven't seen anything while doing my research my mindset was i wonder if this is like am i gonna i guess kind of be scoopy on the show are they gonna show this on the show or something but i guess the 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 rub is he didn't 
follow police protocol. So uh, Outback Wrangler star Matt Wright says police are investigating the fatal chopper crash that killed cast member Chris Willow Wilson because probably some of the stuff that we did at the site went against police protocol while singling out the actions of the cop who flew to the scene with him. Wright, who has since been charged in relation to the fatal crash, said that in Australia there's a bit of chat about the criminal investigation into the incident. It's because we were on scene, he said. We had to cover his body and load him into the flight, into the rescue chopper and stuff, so you know the police are investigating. It's ongoing investigations, you know. It will take its course over time, and the cops will get what they want to get, and we'll move on. But, yeah, it's a bit shitty. They can say shitty in their newspapers. Mm. Shitty because it's hard to grieve Willow when the cops are trying to do an investigation at the same time. His comments come during an interview with the U.S. podcast, The Bailey Show, to promote his new Netflix series, Wild Croc Territory. So they're using us as a source. <laughs> For an investigation. So everything that I just read to you, I guess he said on our show. Wow. When did that come out? Uh, well, actually, I can tell you because they mentioned it here. Hold on. Because I don't know. The Australian understands the podcast interview published on YouTube last month. Remember, I pub I, I put out the full interview. Yeah, and it I was, did that because yeah. it was picking up. Because it was picking up uh, steam. Just and, the little snap had yeah. like fifty thousand views on TikTok or something. The, the full video is at seven hundred forty-eight. That's really good. What yeah. thousand or just seven hundred forty-eight? Just. No, views. not thousands. Just no, thousands. Oh, I thought you meant thousands. I'm about to say, that's viral. <laughs> <laughs> that's still pretty good, though, for that long of an interview. Published on YouTube last month was recorded in October. So we recorded it back in October. Dang. Pretty neat. feel bad for the guy. He was very nice. hope he doesn't get in any trouble. He doesn't seem like a guy that would do anything bad. Over there in Australia, like, what's the Bailey show? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I was going to email her back and say, I appreciate it, but you could have put podcastthebs.com. <laughs> that would have been. Those people are going to be going to that YouTube video with that picture of the dog and be like, where the hell is this interview? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, so oh uh, that's pretty cool, right? It is. Yeah, getting some press. All the way over in Australia. Yeah, that's good with podcasts, you know, because mm-hmm. you can listen to them anywhere you want. Anywhere. Yeah. Well, all right. Well, let me get off this page here. Okay. All right. Um, so with that being said, so the UFO thing, are we done with that? Uh, I just wanted to bring up that it, it scares me a little bit, and I'm kind of worried. I'm not worried. You're not worried? I'm just going to go about my life. If an alien showed up, you're going to go about your life? No, but I'm just going to wait till then. Would you date an alien? No. How do you know the aliens aren't all male models? They you all look like Tyrese. Know. You don't know. That's what if Tyrese point? is an alien and they all look like Tyrese? Well, Tyrese is crazy, so he could very well be an alien. He okay. definitely has mental problems. I'm just saying physically. They're not crazy. They're just Tyrese lookers. But I wouldn't know if I didn't know, yes. But if I knew he was an alien, no. Yeah, he. you knew he was an alien. His name's not Tyrese. It's just Reese. No. <laughs> and he's got snake. It's like his eyes are like cats. No, because um, my fear is sleeping with an alien. You're going to have sex with them, and then their penis is going to come out, go all the way through your vagina, up into your throat, in the brain take something out of there like that's how my mind thinks isn't that what everyone wants balls deep no oh. you don't want your penis <laughs> in our brain jesus but that, i mean that's something yeah but that's the goal right to go i mean like wow this guy can reach my brain <laughs> no <laughs> that's not 
the goal. You guys, you, you don't know until you've been with an alien. Let me tell you. Let me meet me and my boyfriend Reese. He's, he's a beast. You think your husband's got it going on? This guy just tickled my front lobes in my brain. Pretty good. No. Did you sleep with an alien, Brandon? Uh, if she was hot, probably. What if her Dear. vagina ate you? Exactly, oh, Brandon. Like that one movie where they got teeth in there? Yeah. That's scary. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe she like, maybe it's like part of the ritual. They like eat your wiener off and then they give you a nice new one, alien wiener. <laughs> where did that come from? Like you had to have thought of that prior to this conversation. <laughs> like, nobody <laughs> just says eat your wiener and a new alien one grows. <laughs> <laughs> she might plant a little seed in there and then you got this crazy cool alien one. I just figured that'd probably be something that could happen. God, how the world would change if aliens were here. You know, I mean, racism would be gone. Yeah, because everybody would hate aliens. Everybody hate aliens. <laughs> so, so think about they that. Something new to hate. Yeah, like that's all you need. I've always said that you can end some of the world's biggest problems if you just substitute it for another problem. Yeah, but now the aliens got to live here being hated on. See how that works. Poor aliens. They, well, they might be fighting someone else for us. Maybe like the reptilians are coming out of the ground or whatever, and the aliens are like, "Nope, nope, you bastards, you gotta stay down there." And we're they're trying to help us, and the world, our jackass is just shooting them down. See what I'm saying? So my father-in-law, it's a very interesting and complicated man, <laughs> and he is very religious in his own way, and has his own very interesting beliefs on religion. Uh, there is God, there is Jesus, and the aliens are actually angels. He doesn't think that. He does. And there was, this was a while back, we were, we were actually down in Florida, and we had to go back to Georgia, South Georgia, for one of the last football games for the high school, because Ariel had to cheer. And he was in the car with me. And it got to a point where I was like, all right, enough of this shit. I, I've got questions, you know. And so I started to question him. And it got uncomfortable and awkward because his wife was in the back, my mother-in-law. And she was trying to play referee. And I made a comment of, well, that's if God exists. Oh, you don't say that to a Bible thumper. And he goes, well, of course he exists. And I go, can I see your proof? I was just doing this to roll him up. Right? <laughs> I believe in God, but I was just doing this to be devil's advocate because I believe peep everybody. If you're going to spew whatever it is that you believe, I think somebody, if you're intelligent enough, should keep them in check and debate them and ask questions that they might not get. Cause use the, most of the time when people talk like this, people just listen and then they talk shit when they walk away. They, they don't do. they don't talk the shit while you're there. Mm -hmm. I had a four hour car drive. So I'm like, I want to make it interesting. Plus, I was tired. <laughs> I needed to stay awake. So I started having this guy. But he was going on to tell me about and he had proof and he was mixing in science and history and Bible and he was putting it all together. And, you know, I mean, it was it was a great story and I enjoyed listening and I was educated in a weird way, I guess. But he yeah, believes that uh, angels are aliens or aliens or angels. 
and we're getting them mixed up. Fallen angels or angel angels? Angel angels. Oh wow. Yeah, they're, I mean they're 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 not bad people. So they're not the demons that are the fallen angels. They are God's regular old smegler degular angels. Yeah, and, and, and you know there's there's I don't want to say some truth to this, but there's some truth to this. Like if you ever watch Ancient Aliens, the television show, and you look at in history all the hieroglyphics that uh, are you know, or written on the walls and stuff. There's a similar look to these people. They're, you know, like they look like aliens, right? They have the weird alien. That's where we get the idea that the aliens look like a certain way, right? Through, and these people, did you body just make a noise again? It was so faint this time. I Why heard it. in the world? It was so faint. Brandon, did you hear it? I, I, I didn't hear that one. She gets a pass on that one. I didn't Thank hear it. you. <laughs> it was so faint. <laughs> You know, I had a thought, though. It does say in the Bible, the way that we predict angels is not how they look. See, there you go. So yeah, they like scary looking things, aren't they? They say that they they don't look pretty. Yes, they do say that. Do they really? Yeah. Okay. It says that in the Bible. So I, as you were talking, it came to me like it, angels don't look pretty. So think, like, so think about this, like some of the stuff that uh, uh, written by these uh, ancient civilizations that had no way to communicate to each other, but have all very similar stories of what they'd see in the sky. And it would be like a, a, a drag, they'd look, it would be like a dragon because they're associating whatever they're seeing to an animal. But, you know, birds don't have fire that come out of their buttholes. No. Right. So that would be, you know, for the alien believer, that's a UFO. Right. Mm-hmm. So then you go, okay, are they UFOs or are they angels? So do you believe is like, is religion just all based off of ancient civilizations that saw aliens? And then at some point in time, we kind of joined both of them together to make a God and to make a Jesus and to make that story. Like, cause a lot of the things in the Bible, the stories in the Bible, the burning bush and all these things, like, those things are not human. So Jesus, obviously not human, right? right? God, not human. Right. So were they aliens and they were able to do these different things? I think people are using the word alien because they don't have another word to describe what they see. Not from this world. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'll just say that that would be the definition of alien. Not from this world. Yep. Not an illegal alien. They're not Cubans or anything <laughs> like that. <laughs> But you can see where people get it mixed. Like I can. They, they mix them together. I can. And that's that. what he's. And they. And, and I also think people from the uh, the uber religious side like to mix them together because then they have scientific historical facts, you know, hard facts to back it up. Like, well, pff, the Mayans weren't crazy. They wrote it. They carved it in the wood. That's God right there. You know. I mean, <laughs> if you can't see God and His angels right there when this was done, you know, five thousand years ago, then you're blind. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you're a dummy. And then the alien side of things, people like to throw the religious side in, just to kind of throw it in their face. I think of going, okay, look, I understand and I can appreciate your belief in religion, but let's be serious here. The universe is a very big place. For us to think that there's not other civilizations out there would be just absurd. I can see where you came up with your God stuff, but trust me, they're aliens. You know, I mean, like, we've seen the UFOs. We know they exist. There's way too many stories about aliens and UFOs versus, you know, when's the last time you heard somebody say, well, I think Jesus woke up again and he's coming back this April. No, you never hear that story. (laughs) (laughs) 
I heard a yeah, people, I think people always say like, why have we never seen aliens before? But then you go back to like Egypt and they like, they see aliens and then we haven't seen them now. We think, you know, that's a couple thousand years. That's pretty old. But for them, that might be like a week. But like, we were just here last week. Okay. So n- not everybody saw them then. Right. So what if there are people here on earth that do communicate with them that allows us to get the technology that we have? I'm convinced that whoever invented the microwave was friends with aliens. That's like the craziest device ever invented, right? Steve Jobs, how do you know Steve Jobs wasn't talking to aliens about the iPhone? You know, so like this technology that we get or we have or some of the technology that we don't even know we have, like there was a, uh, 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 something that fell from space not that long ago. And there are minerals in that rock that aren't on our chart, our element chart. So there are these elements that exist in outer space that we've never even seen before, which makes sense. I mean, yeah, that's, other that's science. That's fact. I mean, that's what's going to happen. But we're in the year 2023 and we just found this element. I mean, that's crazy, right? No, it's so many things that's going on in space that we're going to still find as time goes on and we're not even here anymore. What if there's an alien, the civilization, we're like, we wrote the Bible. We did it for this reason. Can you imagine the madness that would go on in this world? I think something's going to happen because I keep having an overwhelming fear of dying in space. Nikki, I promise you, you're not going to die in space. I'm telling you, it keeps happening. If you die in space, I will give Brandon $100,000. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Collect your money, Brandon, when I'm not here. I would, I would pay up. Uh, and wash your balls if you sold your company for $250,000, which we know is not going to happen. And I'd also give you $100,000 if Nikki D dies in space. She's going to be like floating past the space station. <laughs> you got to die in a BS shirt, though. <laughs> what is this... Uh, what is this vision of you dying? How do you get there? I don't know. I just, I keep having it's a fear that's like inside of me. And it just came over me like a year ago. Hmm. And I feel like I'm going to die in space. <laughs> and I don't know where it came from. So I know it means something. I'm not laughing at you dying. I'm laughing at you dying in space. Yeah. Because <laughs> how am I even going to get to space? That's what I keep trying to think. Like, why well, am I afraid of dying in space? I'm not going to go to space. How am I going to get there? Maybe it's a metaphor. Of what? Maybe uh, you're going to, your space bar is going to kill you. I don't know. Maybe. I'm going to die in a floaty house? Maybe, yeah. I mean, think of everything that deals with space. Stars. Moons. Oh, maybe you get your head caught in somebody's butthole when he's mooning you. Oh, my goodness. And you suffocate. <laughs> maybe some guy takes you out on a date where you, you know, feel like you have zero gravity. Uh, sky zone sky zone yeah maybe maybe that's it dude i swear to god please if somebody invites you to sky zone in the next couple weeks you have to one tell us immediately and two say no we'll do hey hey, nikki i just thought we should get together uh you know i want to take you out have you ever been to sky zone no blocking your number Wow, I never knew Nikki could run a 4340. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> All right, since we're talking about aliens, uh, the better with fuck this week, uh, alien movies. Oh, okay. I should do good at this. All right, alien movies. 
So how it works, Nate's not here, so it's uh, between you, Nikki, and Brandon. I'm going to play a clip. I got three clips, and you guys uh, will, will, will grade the clip on how much you like them, one out of ten, ten being the best. And then afterwards, uh, the last person that scores, or the last person that gives me the score, then you guys get to just go and guess what the movie is and the year, and you'll get a point for each. Okay, everybody down. Ready? Down, down, down. Okay, uh, here we go. Whatever we do, it's better with... Ah! What? Everything's better with the... All right, alien movies. Are we stop googling alien movies, Brandon? I see your eyes. <laughs> no, I'm doing alien porn. I see your eyes. I no see your cheating. eyes. Okay, here's the first one. Perhaps it's fate that today is the Fourth of July, and you will once again be fucking for our freedom, not from tyranny, oppression, or persecution. But from annihilation, we're fucked for our right to live. <laughs> Starting strong, real strong. All right, Nikki, one out of ten. I'm giving that one a seven. That was solid. A one of my seven. That's one of my favorites. Oh my! God. I don't want to start too high because the other ones might be super don't good, and I won't be able to. That. I won't oh. be able to go up. I'm offended by a seven, Brandon. Yeah, I like that one. I'm going to give it a nine. Yeah, that's pretty damn good. All right, here we go. Three, two, one, movie. Independence, Independence Day. Day. All right, you both get a point. <laughs> give me a year. I got to go on one. <laughs> 99. No. 98. 97. 95. Jesus. 2002. No, it came God, out dang. in the 90s. I'm, I'm, 93? 94. Did we say 95? Yeah. 90? Nah, it's got to be 2000 now. 2000. 2004. Jesus! 03. You mi- 05? You missed a number. 92. 92. 93. 1990. 91. What the fuck? 2000. 1999. Six? What'd you say, Brandon? 2006? 2005. No, 2007. Hold on. 96. You missed 90. You went 99, 98, 97, 95, 94. Dumbasses. Sheesh. All right. God, that was a lot of buzz. It came out in the 90s. Okay, here's the second one. Just a minute. Now, I realize, of course, that times are tough for some these days, but this isn't the answer. You can't solve uh, society's problems with a fuck. You know something, buddy? You're right. I'm going to turn over a new leaf. Good for you, sir. That's the spirit. See, he doesn't really want to hurt anybody. Uh-huh. Right after Fuck! this lady's purse. <laughs> Fuck this lady's purse, Nikki. Uh, I'm going to give that one a seven, too. Let's, you think that one is good as a... Oh, my God, you're crazy. All right, Brandon. Yeah, it's a little worse. I'm going to give it a seven also. Yeah, there you go. That makes sense. All right, here we go. Three, two, one. Close encounters of the third kind. Damn. <laughs> I had to get it out quick. <laughs> the predator. Did you say predator? Alien. Um. <clears throat> Lost in outer space. Oh, I think it does sound something like that, though. Uh, that's old. Uh, <laughs> the great 
The Great Traveler. Star Trek. Oh. Star Wars. Oh, I think, I, I th- is it black and white? <laughs> <laughs> I know he's going to put uh, an old movie. I didn't even know. Oh. I feel like I've seen it on TV, but I skipped right past it. <laughs> the uh, outstanding space. I feel like Nikki was close with the lost in space. Mm, you saying I'm not close? <laughs> I like this. I don't have to say a word. Uh, not the space time continuum. Damn. Not sponsored by Campbell's, but could be. The, 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 the green noodle? Yeah. Uh, the sponsored show. by Campbell's, but it could be. So. The the override. <sighs> Spaghetti. A movie about soup. Um. <laughs> Great outer space. Stop saying stupid names. Great outer space adventures. This don't even exist. Oh, they had bad names back then. It also could be sponsored by oh, the Odyssey. Could be sponsored by a certain chocolate bar. The hot tub time machine. There's nothing to do with time that. crunch. It's not even a movie. We clearly don't know what the movie. I'm just trying to get something close. I thought Space Odyssey, Galaxy. I thought it was for sure. But the two now the 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 person in this movie has two first names. Dean Martin. Uh, I can't uh, believe you guys don't know this. It's just, and the the, the the Campbell's clue should have given it away. Oh. <laughs> uh. Oh. Uh. If you wrote in if 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 you were in Washington DC you might know the answer. Oh my uh. Attack on the White House. The answer, you dummies. Is Superman? Superman. Superman's an alien. <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! Any uh, guesses on the year that. for a point? Seventy-eight. There you go. Nicely done. How do you know Superman came out in seventy-eight? Are you a Superman <laughs> fan? <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm just guessing in the seventies. That was the best <laughs> Superman right there. That was a good one. Seventy-eight. 78. Oh, God, that was Superman. painful. I'm thinking about aliens. Okay, I got to redo my brain. He is an alien. He's not an alien. He's from another planet. What? And he's got he just super- touched kryptonite. He's a man. No, he's from another planet. <laughs> Isn't Superman Clark Clint? Not Clark Clint. He's Clark Kent. Yeah. That's his name on Earth. But he's got an, uh, what's his alien name? What is it? Um, uh, Superman is an alien. Yeah, he's from Krypton. Oh, in- Inspector Campbell, I got you. Huh? Right? No, like Inspector Campbell. Soup, er, man. Was it? Was the name not Inspector Campbell though? For what? Superman. Was there an inspector in there? No, his name was Clark Kent. I know that, but I thought there was someone else in there. 
Like the inspector or the detective. Bad, He's bad, bad. That's crazy. Uh, do you know his love interest? Jane. <laughs> Lois Lane. Oh, that's Tarzan, ain't it? Yeah. Dang. And the nerdy guy that worked at the Bugle? Uh, Jimmy Olsen. Jimmy Olsen. Jimmy Olsen. All right. Here's the last one. This one's for 832 points. You better take off your shoulder. What? You might fall off him. And um, close your eyes. Don't push it, Elliot. I'm not coming out there until your eyes are closed. Okay, they're closed. That's my favorite one. Mickey. I'm giving that one a nine. I like that. <laughs> Brandon. I'm going to give it an eight. Eight, okay. Uh, What's well, going to be the winner of those? All right, go ahead. Movie. E.T. the extraterrestrial. Wait. Yes. 834 points. Year? Was that me or Nikki? That was you. Oh. Oh, hell yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what you for. said. Something stupid. What did you say? 94. 94? Uh, 82. Uh, hey, 834 points. All right, with a score of 836, or I'm sorry, 838 to 836. Brandon wins. <laughs> <laughs> Ninety ET. What are you joking? Uh, before I replay the clip, big thanks to Chef Erica, Erica Nicole Day, because she's a sponsor of Better with Fuck. And if you're ready to give a fuck about your health, then you need to reach out to Chef Erica because she's great people. Erica Nicole Day dot com. That's Erica with an E R I C K or I'm sorry, E R I C A Nicole dot com. Day dot com. Experienced culinary medicine consultant and private chef with medical and high restaurant background available for consulting on meal planning for weight loss, helping with medical conditions or strict macro for bodybuilding, fitness, training, etc. Erica Nicole Day dot com. All right. And the winner is ET. You better take off your shoulder. What? You might fall off me. And um, close your eyes. Don't push it, Elliot. I'm not coming out there until your eyes are closed. Okay, they're closed. <laughs> That's uh, Drew Barrymore as a little kid in there. And then the, the boy that plays Elliot... He had a good run as a child actor. Like, I think he also did Cloak and Dagger and a couple other ones. Then he just disappeared. And then I remember watching, well, it was like the first time I watched uh, Gangs of New York, which is one of my favorite movies. He's the he's the other guy. He's Le- Leonardo DiCaprio's buddy um, in that movie. Oh, neat. Yeah, so I always like seeing that these child actors and you just don't see them forever and then they come back and bam. Anyway, okay, so that's better with fuck. Yay! Yay! All right. Uh, we're going to do our guest. And then at the end for you, premium two percenters stick around because we got the bonus content. I called nine one one and I don't think that anyone will agree with the reason why I called nine one one, uh, the other week when I was on the road. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I know it's crazy. <laughs> All right. First, let's talk to our guest. Hold up. Wait a minute. Let's hear from our sponsors. Winter is here, and we know what that means. Rodents are looking for a nice, comfy place to call their home. Nothing better than a nice, warm attic or crawl space, possibly yours. Do you know that rodents can cost thousands of dollars in repairs or even worse? Squirrels are the number one issue 
with house fires in the attic due to them constantly chewing on the wires, not to mention the diseases that they carry. Well, not on Inspect All Pest Services Watch. They do full or partial exclusions to help get rid and prevent rodents from invading your home. Whether it's squirrels, rats, opossums, or bats, they got you covered. Fully licensed and insured, Inspect All Pest Services is a company you can trust to take care of all your rodent needs inspectallservices.com make sure you mention the bs and receive 10 percent off your exclusion work year-round exclusions one year of rodent trapping included with annual renewal rodent letters trap set and attics and crawl spaces free inspections inspectallpestservices.com taxes that's as real as real can get right you can't fake it they're here they come every year right now they're here they're right in your face you're going who's going to do my taxes last year that guy in the strip shopping plaza you know just didn't cut it never got that check that i was supposed to get well i'm going to send you to the best in the business that's alliance tax solutions and you do that by going to their website www.keepmy.money keep my money. They want you to keep your money. We're talking tax resolution, tax planning, tax preparation, bookkeeping. If you're a small business like me, having somebody keep your books, that is way cool, right? Keep my dot money, Alliance Tax Solutions. Uh, Georgia based face-to-face tax resolution firm, 25 years combined experience and have resolved millions of back tax debt for their clients. That could be you. You got issues. Don't try to do it yourself. Trust me. You don't want to do it yourself. You want to go to pros like Alliance Tax Solutions. Keep my dot money. Fellas, feeling lethargic, just kind of, right? Confidence isn't where it used to be. Well, that's probably because you have low testosterone. Testosterone maintenance is huge. Many guys, especially over the age of 40, are doing it right? Including yours truly. Go to Nuberty's Men's Wellness League in Sandy Springs. You hear Diane Spiva, the nurse practitioner on the podcast all the time. It has been a game changer for me and many other two percenters that have taken advantage of the offer that they give to us. $149 for the combine. What that does is you got to shave out about an hour and a half of your time, but you go in there, they draw your blood, and it's the first part of your journey to becoming a better and totally different, more positive person. Menswellnessleague.com. I'm going to tell you this, though. They do everything. Testosterone maintenance, medical weight loss, PRP therapy for your hair. They'll do it all for you, right? But they're not going to put the work in. You've got to put the work in. No excuses. Menswellnessleague.com. Schedule that call today and take advantage of the deal. All right, full disclosure. Yes, Rachel Guy, Rachel the realtor guy is my wife. On top of that, she's one of the best realtors in Atlanta. Uh, she's, well, not just Atlanta, in the whole state of Georgia. I see her all the time driving all over the place for a lot of you two percenters, which I'm totally cool with because she's finding you, some of you, your first house, some of you, your second house, whatever it may be. Everybody's happy when they use my wife to find a house. She's a realtor with Coldwell Banker. So if you're looking to buy or sell, just give her a buzz. Her name is Rachel Guy, and she's your guy. See what we did there? 404-797-4600. That's her private number. Don't get weird on her. Don't get weird on me. 404-797-4600. You want stress-free buying and selling in a really crazy market. So get a hold of her also by email. I am Rachel Guy at gmail.com. And back to you, Jason. <laughs> I'm going to chalk this up. Never talked to him. I just know about him. 
probably the most interesting man alive. The guy that is in, the guy that we can blame in probably a good way for our childhoods. And I'll explain here in a second because he's one of Hollywood's most admired and accomplished casting directors. He's got a new book, Sex, Drugs, and Pilot Season, Confessions of a Casting Director. It is the one and the only Joel Thurm. How are you, Joel? I'm fine, thank you. See, well, look, let's see. There's the book. Yeah. Don't, I, don't I look the same as the cover? <laughs> you look great either way, Joel. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> so before we get into every single name that has been a part and show that has been a part of mine and my audience's uh, lives, let's first start figuring out. You tell us, how did you get the job as a casting director and the man with the power to place people into superstardom. Well, one thing I got to correct, uh, I I don't place. I suggest, I cajole, I twist arms, I do everything I can, but I don't make the decisions. Okay. How I became a casting director was, uh, it just happens to, again, it's Cinderella in a way. I was, did you ever hear of a Broadway producer, David Merrick? I have not. Well, you're, how old are you? I'm 47. <laughs> All right, well, if you added two more, two more decades, you'd know him. <laughs> he was the most important producer of Broadway in the 60s. Mm-hmm. Hello, Dolly, Gypsy, uh, uh, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead, a whole slew. I got to work in his office in a business capacity. I was assistant to his general manager. But I was lucky enough, every morning, you know, there was no such thing as Mr. Coffee then. So you had to buy it on the corner and bring it up with the bagels. And every day before work, we would talk about movies or plays that I had seen the night before. And this guy was obviously listening to me. And one day he called me into his office and he said, look, I can't stand working with you anymore. So you got a choice. You can go become our casting director, reopen our casting department, get a $50 a week raise, or you're walking out the door and you're fired. And I said to, I said, Jack, I don't know anything about casting. And he said, yes, you do. You just don't know you do. (laughs) And that's how I became the casting director without any prior experience for the most important theatrical producer in New York. And, and that, then it grew from that. And that's why you can write a book today because, uh, and I always say this, it's always about the story. Everybody with an interesting job has a story behind it. Most most of the time they didn't want to do it. I didn't want to do radio. It just fell into my lap. It was an accident, a happy accident eh, sometimes. Uh, you know, in your case, the same exact thing. So you go and you start becoming a casting director, like you said, had no idea what you're doing. Do you remember who you cast first in, in what? Well, the first, you wouldn't know any of these people, but they were casting replacements in our musicals. Uh, Pearl Bailey was doing Hello, Dolly, and there were always replacements in that, and Promises, Promises, and um, the first new play I did was Play It Against Sam, a Woody Allen play. Mm-hmm. So I did that, and then there was another one which was, which was at the end of the season called Child's Play. You've, you've never heard of these, but Child's Play won a Tony that year, and two of the actors won Tonys, and Merrick actually gave me a raise, something that he was never known to do. But what happened is, the lucky thing for me was Pearl Bailey, who was then the fifth Hello Dolly, the fifth woman to play that, part of my job was to keep her happy. Mm. Meaning she, uh, her family was in California. She was here all alone. 
so I would I would I would have to go to dinner with her. It's like three nights a week, you know, down the street at the then, you know, the place to be seen was Sardi's. And and we formed this wonderful relationship. She became my adopted mother. And when she was offered a show in California, uh, a variety show, and just like you said, you wound up in radio. She said, do you want to come to California and work on the show? I said, sure, why not? <laughs> you know, I, I never planned one iota, one beat of my career. It was always being someone saying, oh, do you want to do this? I said, sure, why not? <laughs> So that's how I got to California. And you get to California and you're you're working for her and her variety uh, variety show on her on her variety show, yeah. And, and then when was the pivotal point that you started you left that show and then started <laughs> casting for other things, correct? Well, what I what I found out was that when I got to California to work on her show, there was no job. Oh. That's how I discovered that a star can have a posse. <laughs> and you could be part of the posse and there was no job. And that was not good for me. But I finally did get a job doing music clearances, uh -huh. which can be an important job, but it only took a couple of hours a week. And then her show was dead on arrival because of other shows like Laugh-In uh -huh. that were superseding the old-fashioned variety shows. So I kind of spent two years in the desert, you know, picking up shows, picking up various uh, casting gigs. Uh, I was offered uh, a local production of Tommy, and I'm handed a record. Cast this. I said, well, how do you cast with a record? <laughs> <laughs> and then I was told, that's your job. Figure it out. <laughs> but here's an example. Get, get, when high, I cast get, get high and listen to it. <laughs> that's what you do. Oh, yeah, but, but then what do you, how do you, anyway, Teddy Neely, not so bad, who went on to play Jesus and Supers in the movie of Superstar. And I also found a woman by the name of Annette Cardona, who a couple of years later, she's Chacha de Gregorio in Greece. Uh-huh. You know, indelibly in an incredible part, she's no longer with us, but I mean, that's the way it works. And then finally, I was able to meet a woman by the name of Ethel Winant, who was head of casting for CBS. And there was a change in style going on where pretty people were going out for a while. They are, they're always there. But thanks to Norman Lear, normal looking people were coming in mm. and they all came in from New York uh, without without, you know, without perfect teeth and perfect hair and so on. And she hired me to work on her. It added me to her department. And uh, before I knew it, I was casting the Bob Newhart show. That was kind of Norman Lear's thing, right? Was like, we, what I want to showcase on television is what people are living every day. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. All in the Family, Maud, right. Sanford, all of those. Those are his shows. And uh, there, there wasn't anyone who was going to become, you know, America's most sexy, whatever people does, the sexiest <laughs> man in America. None of them were on any of Norman Lear's shows, nor were the women, <laughs> you know. But, but again, I had the knowledge of the New York actors that her department didn't have. Uh-huh. So that's and also in 1974, I got lucky again by the same guy who handed me the record for Tommy um, said, uh, we're doing a, a new show called the Rocky Horror Show. Oh, OK. <laughs> and so I cast the first U.S. stage production of Rocky Horror. And then right after that was over, we went right into casting the movie. And that was about like 74, 75. Yeah. So, so that was, yeah, so that, and, and it just builds. And I was very lucky to get good things to cast. 
You know, it, it, you come off well if the material is good. And I was very lucky to have wonderful writing to work with. That, that uh, Same in sports. You can have a fantastic uh, professional player if they're on a bad team with bad coaching and, and bad upper management. You're never going to be considered one of the greatest players because you'll never win. And I've always said that as well with, with uh, actors is that, you know, you make it to that level – you're not bad at what you do. I mean, it's very difficult to do the simplest things that these people do. But if it's a bad movie, if it's bad, right? I mean, we've seen people win Grammys and then flop right afterwards because of bad pictures. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I was very lucky, and and I think Rocky Horror did something, and I learned something on on Rocky Horror. Um, Susan Sarandon's agents, when I called to set up an audition for Susan Sarandon, I was told, and I, I knew Susan personally. Mm. So, uh, and, and uh, I, I've got, I, I don't know how much time I have, but shall we say, Susan, uh, Susan Sarandon met Barry Bostwick at my little apartment for dinner. Mm. And a couple of weeks later, she and Barry were a couple. This is before the casting. This is so. Um, anyway, Barry was kind of a lock for the role of Brad for the movie. Uh -huh. He didn't want to do the, um, but I, uh, call, uh, and, and I called Susan's brand new high powered agents. He just moved out from New York. And I said, I'd like to set up an audition for Susan. And they said, oh, oh, no, 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 no. Uh, this is not the kind of a project we want for her. And she certainly won't audition. <laughs> and I said, OK, so one of the reasons I was a good casting director is I could be as devious as necessary. And so I thought, OK, I called Barry and I said, Barry, when you come in for your audition, just bring Susan. Just make sure she's there. So um, and then I'll do everything else. What Barry didn't know was the producer and director already knew Barry's work from Broadway and he was a lock. He, I didn't bring in anybody else for that part, but he didn't know that. So he comes on stage and ready to audition. And I usually would read with the actors. So um I started reading with, with Barry, and then I said, you know, this is ridiculous. I said, why are you reading with this 30-year-old, balding, Jewish young man? Why not, why not? Susan, can you do me a favor and please come up and read with Barry? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, he, that, that, that's why it was really good, because I would think out of the box and do things like that. Uh -huh. So Susan starts reading with Barry, and the director says, who is she? And then I explained. And then he said, Susan, can you, can, did you bring a song? And Susan said, no. But, and then I jump in and said, well, could you do happy birthday? She sang happy birthday in that same sweet soprano you hear in the movie. Yeah. And uh, that's how Susan Sarandon got in Rocky Horror. That's cool. You know, that's just that's he, just the story, Joel. I mean, like whether you've seen the original Rocky Horror or not, just the story of you telling everybody how that happened behind the scenes. That's not stuff that's talked about at junkets and pressers. No. No, it's not. But I mean, I, to me, to me, that was normal. That's what that, yeah. I would always do things like that. And I think that's why I separated myself from the pack of casting directors, because I went I went so outside the lines, you know, to, 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 to for the for the good of the project. Then you get into the 80s. Right. And yes. then television changes slightly or a lot, actually, uh, I guess, depending on who you'd ask. And you are now working for NBC. 
Well, yeah, I mean, we skipped through the whole 70s, which, of course, we're skipping Greece, boring the plastic okay, bubble. Go, go back to, go back to Greece. Go back to them. Yeah, yeah, but go. the 80s was different because in the 80s, I got hired to be head of casting for NBC, head of talent and casting for NBC. That's a job where you're no longer casting. You're sort of like quality control. Mm-hmm. Final auditions were held in my office. And, you know, I would I, w- I wouldn't be making the decisions, but I, I was very influential in making the decisions. Uh, I'm trying to think that. Let me give you a good example. Family Ties. Mm, love it. Gary Goldberg, a wonderful, wonderful writer, wrote a great script and he he knew who he wanted and he brought in his cast choices for the mother. He brought in Donna McKechnie from a chorus line. OK. For the father, another Sarandon, he wanted Chris Sarandon, mm-hmm. his ex-husband. And, and first of all, and uh, 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 her name just went out of my head, uh, from Chorus Line, uh, Donna. Donna read very, very badly. And Donna will be the first person to say, I'm not an actress, I'm a dancer. Mm-hmm. So she read badly, and I said, look, I'm going to give you an idea. She's not new, but she's now can play mothers. Maybe you should see... Um, God, Joel, this is terrible. Uh, Meredith, Meredith, yeah. Meredith Baxter. Baxter. You know, she's been around for a while, but she's, you know, for, it's a good idea. And for uh, for uh, for Chris, I said, NBC did not like him because that he was unlikable. Mm. A phrase that has come up that unless you're likable on television, you don't get cast. And then I said, you know, you should see this guy in New York. I'd seen him in a play where he was playing a German drag queen, which is not germane to family ties. But when I saw him afterwards, if you close your eyes, he sounds exactly like Alan Alda. Uh-huh. And has that same, his name was Michael Gross. Right. They saw him and they hired him. So, uh, you know, that's, that's the kind of thing that I would do. So I, I, was, I wasn't casting myself, but believe me, I was influencing the shows in that manner. Did, did you... Did you, I don't know if the word cast would be correct, but were you the one to place Tom Hanks on the episode uh, as the uncle? I have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) Did Tom Hanks do an episode of Family Ties? Yeah, he did. But you know more than I do. I didn't know that. (laughs) Tom, Tom Hanks was the uncle with a drinking problem, and he swore that he had stopped drinking. And then Uh, Michael J. Fox, a.k.a. Alex P. Keaton, he finds, he catches his uncle in the cabinet drinking vanilla extract to, to satisfy his alcoholic, uh, his alcohol, his alcohol issues. I tried that. It doesn't work. But, um, (laughs) but no, Family Ties was lucky to have a wonderful, wonderful casting director by the name of Judith Wiener. Mm-hmm. So once the project was cast and the set, I was not involved in the day-to-day, week-to-week casting. Gotcha. But Judith Wiener fought for Michael. She fought for him, and Brandon didn't want Michael Fox. Um, you know, uh, he, he, he didn't think he was cute enough. Well, we all ganged up on Brandon, and he gave in. Who did they but, want? Uh, Who did they want? Well, first the offer went to... Um, Oh God! <laughs> you know, uh, um, oh, um, who's married to Justice Sarah Jessica Parker? Oh, Broderick, Matthew Broderick. Matthew Broderick. Yeah, Matthew Broderick was going to do it, but then he got the Broadway play. Mm-hmm. Second was Zach Galligan, who got Gremlins. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so third choice was this unknown Canadian actor that the casting director found and was pushing, and she was right. So I got behind her and pushed. So uh, that's how, but, but Judith also cast the Golden Girls. 
So she did a wonderful job, you yeah. know. So um, yeah, that, yeah, that was that. And and with the Golden Girls, uh, a totally probably different approach to casting. I'm assuming well, totally because the first attempt was to try to use unknown actresses. Uh-huh. And Judith and her partner, they scoured New York, they scoured L.A., but and they were really good actresses, but it didn't work using actresses. You needed to hire known people with known personalities. And that's eventually what happened. And uh, my boss, Brandon Tartikoff, did not want B. Arthur. Wow. He said she's poison, that the public out there hates her. And I, and I went through a whole series of loop, hoops that I jumped through, and I flew out Elaine Stritch. Do you know who she was or is? Uh, you're going to have to say it, and I'm sure I'll, I will. Elaine Stritch later on went on to become famous from the Broadway play Company, where she sang Ladies Who Lunch. Got it. Okay. Later, she played Alec Baldwin's mother on 30 Rock. Got it. Got it. But the point is, she's just as acerbic and just as mean and could kill you with a look, just like B. Arthur did. Mm. But I flew her out, went through all of this, only to find out that that the writer wrote it only for B. Arthur and would never approve anybody else. So Brandon finally came around and said, okay. You know, but when Susan Harris said, this is not the B. Arthur show, this is a group. So you may not like B. Arthur, but you're going to like Betty White. Yeah. Oh, who does? You know? didn't. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So that, well, B. Arthur didn't like her, but that's a whole other story. Yeah. I can, you know, we've all heard those rumors, but can you imagine being on that set and those women, you know, having heat with each other, especially Betty White? Betty White is... Is 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 pure as the driven snow, and, and like from the fans' perspective, right? I mean, yes. she might have a mean side, who knows? But she put she put on a great act her entire life. I've always well, loved there, Betty White. There was never any dissension on the set at all. It was all w- wonderful on the set. They got along great. There was never a problem on the set. But personally, B did not like Betty and didn't like her work ethic. B was an actress who had to prepare and wasn't used to being. If you had a cut tape for a minute, Betty would be fooling around while, um, while, uh, oh, who's that? While who's that? I have someone calling me who yeah. I'm putting, I'm sitting on my phone. It's Brad Pitt. So, he wants to know where you're at. You're supposed to meet him for lunch. No, I have no plans today. You're <laughs> it. But you suddenly disappeared. Did I disappear from you? No, I can still see you fine. I'm just trying to figure out who's calling you. I think it's Brad Pitt. All right, well, I don't, but you've disappeared from my screen, but I'll just go on. If you can see me, that's fine. I can see you just fine. Yeah, absolutely. But, but, but anyway, um, like Betty White would giggle and make, or make the audience laugh, and that would disturb B's concentration. So, um, so that, that created a big problem. And, and eventually, you know, publicly, um, uh, B called Betty White the unmentionable C word. Ooh, can't yes. have that. So, Anyway, moving moving along. <laughs> <laughs> so, to tell me about the the situation with uh, Jason Bateman and Ricky Schroeder. Silver Spoons was a oh. child like myself, my age, growing up was a dream. You wanted to live in the castle. You wanted to ride the train. You wanted yeah. you you wanted to you wanted all that stuff. Um, yeah. But there was heat between those two. Really, the parents, right? Well, they were great. They were, it was it was Ricky's mother. Um, Jason and Ricky were a great pair. Ricky being the straight man and Jason being the funny man. Um, but Ricky, it was originally called the Ricky Schroeder. It was Rick, Silver Spoons, the Ricky Schroeder show, whatever. But and Ricky's mother very stupidly did not realize that there was gold in the two of them. 
Mm-hmm. Unlike, shall we say, Ronnie Howard's mother, who realized the combination of Henry Winkler and Ronnie Howard was better than ever imaginable and, and a godsend to the show. Well, we basically had to fire Jason and uh, I found, um, what's it, uh, Alfonso. Alfonso, yeah. But it was not the same because Alfonso is not exactly a comedian. So the show didn't last. Yeah. But blame Ricky's mother for that. That's all her. How, how, how does, uh, you know, because he was, what, 10, 11, 12 years I old? Yeah, I was actually older than 10. I'm probably pre-teen, but I think he'd be a tween. That's the expression now. How, how, do, how do you handle that? You know, your first big acting job and everything's great. And because, you know, of, of stuff that you can't control, you're now fired and out of a job. You know, do you treat well, him I, like I, an adult? I, I, I can't get into Jason's mind. I can't tell you what he was feeling then, but we immediately put him onto a different show that uh, another show. And that lasted for maybe a season or two seasons, which kept him off the market for other networks and then put him on Valerie Harper's show. Mm -hmm. So he stayed on NBC all those years. I would think during that time, just like any decade, there's, you know, a group of young actors that are probably trying to compete for the same show often. You know, you had the Michael J. Foxes, the Batemans, the um, the Joey Lawrences, um, yeah. you know, then you get into the 90s, you got the the Feldmans, the Hams, you know, those types of there's, there's <laughs> always there's always a group of those kids, right? Yeah, they're, and they're new. They're, every generation has new people. The and some of them have very long careers. Look at Mayim Bialik. Whoever thought that that, that kid was going to wind up hosting Jeopardy? Jeopardy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, also, the Phoenixes. I left them out, too. Oh, and, the and, Fe- yes, and the you, Phoenixes. And you had a part in, in the Phoenixes, that family's no. lodge. Just, right? just, just a small one. No, I'm joking. I was very lucky to have met their mother and hired their mother as my secretary at NBC for five years. And I got to know and love these kids. Um, you know, to me, they're like nieces and nephews. And, um, you know, I, I went to see them perform in the streets in Westwood with their guitars and, the, you know, uh, you know, just sort of busking for money. But um, the, the uh, Arlen and her husband, John, brought the kids out to California because they thought that there was something in them that they could work in show business. And of course, they were right. But I got the kids their first agent, and it, and uh, am I how 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 can I curse on here a little bit? Absolutely, absolutely. All right. So the best kid agents in that time was a woman named Iris Burton. So I said to Arlen, that was uh, look. I said, do you mind if I send the kids over to the best kids agent in town, and let's see what she says. And she said, well, if, if it's not, you know, something against NB policy, sure, please. So I sent all the kids over to Iris and I get called back later. She said, you mean I got to hire the whole fucking family if I want one? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, yes. And then she said, but that river, oh, is he gorgeous? And I said, yes. <laughs> she said, but they, what are they going to do? They won't do commercials for dairy. They won't do anything with leather. What am I supposed to do with them? And I said, Iris, figure it out. You want them? That, that's, that's part of the deal. And she certainly did figure it out. And to show how wonderful this family was, um, 
Iris was a kid's agent. And again, you know, both River and Joaquin. Well, then he was Leaf. Right, Leaf, yeah. He, he was actually, his original name was Joaquin, but he wanted to have a funny name like his brothers and sisters. So he called himself Leaf. But what happened when they began doing heavy duty movies and making real money, they went to a bigger agency. I think it was CAA. But part of the deal was that CAA would have to pay a percentage of their commissions to Iris. And that happened with both boys. And to me, that's one of the few times I've ever heard of someone being um, not responsible, but doing the right thing by doing that. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of family they are. Well, that's good to hear. It, Joaquin, uh, his first big acting job, at least, was Parenthood, right? I mean, he's cast uh, his his credits. He's Lee Phoenix in that. Yeah, but he also did, an, I think, an episode. I forgot what the television series was, where he played a a kid who was with some sort of you know some sort of problems. And he was amazing, amazing, you know, throwing uh, an autistic fit on camera. He was incredible. But yes, Parenthood was the first one that uh, first movie. Yes. And and also, what was the other one with uh, Nicole Kidman uh, to die for? Was that the name of it? Where, um, you know, the broadcaster who's having these little affairs with all these little kids. I think it was to die for. I believe you're correct. And he, and he was wonderful in that. And he climbed the ladder little by little, doing all these, uh, you know, sort of unusual parts. And it wasn't until Joker that he really exploded. And, and I'm assuming, uh, I think I know the answer to this because you've already told numerous stories about how you develop personal relationships with these actors, correct? So you, you, you're talking to them outside of the business world. Well, yeah, no, I mean, well, like I said, you know, his mother was, the kids came to the office practically every day, <laughs> you know, so um, the, 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 the hours for a casting assistant like his mother was were, were, were long. It was like 10 o'clock till whenever. Fortunately, they lived nearby. And when uh, I hired his mother, every time I, she would always present, well, I can't do this because... I can't do this because, well, I got to go home and make dinner for them. And it's like, well, um, you know, John can do that. Or, um, but we're vegan. Uh, oh, I'm, 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 I'm getting ahead of myself. But I said, all right, well, you know, if they come to the office, there's a vegan restaurant nearby. They can have anything they want. And so for every problem that she raised, I, I gave an alternative. So that's why the kids were at the studio a lot. And they loved coming to NBC. And also, these were kids, they would greet you with a smile and a hug. Mm-hmm. This was natural. This wasn't a, a kid actor affectation. But their family was all about love. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, um, you know, I don't have kids. I don't have a family. And so they became my nieces and nephews, in a way. And um, the first time I had dinner at their house, I know I had a very stressful job, but the minute I walked into their house, I think my blood pressure went down 30 points <laughs> <laughs> because they were just such a wonderful, loving family that, um, you know, it, it rubbed off on you and everyone in the building loved them. Every, everyone in the building loved them. Well, I, I bring that up because when you know obviously we lost river at a very young age because of of the demons do, do you step in do you see that or do you just let it go well after a i didn't know about it and i don't think it was demons 
I think that kids, all kids do certain stupid things at certain times. Mm. I mean, he was not a druggie. He was not, I mean, he was going to, and he was, and, I, and from what I know, he was going to the Viper that night seriously because of music. His music career was as important to him as his acting career. He really wanted a career in music. So, um, you know, that was not something that he did on a regular basis. So let's say, and, I, and here's what I think. Uh, he was also taking a cold medicine. And there have been several instances where a cold medicine will interfere with certain other drugs. And that's what happened to him. God, what a shame. He was such a fantastic actor. He, but he was also a fantastic person. But you're right, you know, he was a fantastic actor. And who knows what, well, I know it would have happened. He would have become Brad Pitt or he would have become whoever. But, you know, it was very sad. It was very, very sad. But yeah. I know he was not a club kid. And this was not something that was habitual. Yeah, so sad. Uh, do you want to go back to the 70s? you want to talk Greece? Or do you want to move forward and go Don Johnson? But, well, John Johnson is very simple. Uh, um, Don Johnson, Miami Vice, then we can go back. Um, no one at NBC could agree on the casting of Miami Vice. Um, I was, and I did something that I fell into the network trap for a while, which was, well, he did three pilots for us and they all tanked. So why are we going back to him again? You know, that's traditional network thinking. Of course, what I should have thought was, well, but this is a completely different role that he's really right for. <laughs> so, um, but I wanted Gary Cole, and I think Gary Cole would have been good in that part. But another executive wanted Larry Wilcox. Another NBC executive wanted something else. And since none of the NBC executives could agree, the very wise Brandon Tartikoff said, well, if this is the way we all feel, why don't we let Michael Mann decide who he wants and we'll do that. <laughs> so it's a very simple story, but it was also the right story and the right thing to do. And of course, he was sensational. God, it, it, just just take that. It could have been Gary Cole instead yeah. of Don Johnson. You know, yeah. one, how would that have changed Miami Vice, which was a game changer for pop culture? It was the first to use the music, the Phil Collins in the air tonight, to use the bright fluorescent lights. It was showcasing a whole new world that we were living in. It was part of the MTV generation. And Gary Cole, as much as I love Gary Cole, I can't even fathom what he would be in as that role of Sonny well, Crockett. Let, let, but you hadn't seen him at the uh, Steppenwolf Theater in Chicago playing a whole slew of soldiers and right. you know rougher parts. You're right. I had. Wow. <laughs> because I would do that. I would go over the country and to the prominent theaters and see people. But again, I think Don Johnson obviously was better, but it would have worked with Gary Cole too because of Michael Mann and the writing. The style of the show wouldn't have changed that wouldn't have changed at all. It would have been the same style. Um, so but again, the right person got the part. Yeah, you're right. I, I agree. All right. Well, one of the biggest movies of all time, Greece. Uh, yes. Just watched it the other night. Now, before you start, Joel. Uh, yes. There is a continuous debate amongst me, my friends, my audience, whatever. I'm sorry to say this, but I think Greece 2 is better than Greece 1. Oh, you're all effing crazy. <laughs> I, it's just, no, 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 no. It's just me and like one other person. Everybody else thinks I'm effing crazy. 
Well, you are. But um, the thing is, what Grease 2 had, it had a couple of really great musical numbers. Yeah. It had the number in the bowling alley. Yeah. And, and the first number was really good. But that's Pat Birch. She did a sensational job. But there was zero chemistry between... Um, what do you call it between um, Matthew uh, Michelle and Michelle. Michelle? There was no there was zero chemistry. And if you look at it again, the way those characters were not really introduced well off the bus, you know, it was terrible. It really was terrible. Um, so, yeah, I disagree with you. Who, no. who, who, would, who would you have cast instead of the, the guy that plays uh, uh, Michael, not Matthew, Michael? Wait, I'm sorry. Uh, on what show are we talking about? Grease, Michael? Grease 2. It's, uh, Michael, that, was his, that was his character name? That was name? his I didn't character know that. name. He also went and uh, he was the rock star in, what, uh, Tower Records or whatever. No, he, he, he's, a, he's a wonderful actor, but, it was a, but let me put it this way. Alan Carr, who produced that, left to his own devices, has only done flops. <laughs> Alan Carr, had, he was great at certain things like promotion, but he was really terrible about doing all the other things. It wasn't good. And I don't do sequels, so I can't answer that. <laughs> oh. So John Travolta had no interest in doing Grease 2. Uh, none whatsoever. Nor did Olivia. Uh, I think some of the some of the kids did, but no, yeah. not neither of the two of them wanted that. Was it beneath no. them at the time because of the success? It's not, it's not beneath it. I think they were smart enough to know you can't recreate the magic that happened in the first one. It's impossible. It's absolutely impossible. Every single element in in the, in the original movie of Greece, and when I'm not talking about the actors, I'm talking about set design, costume, music, everything was perfect. You only do a sequel if you can improve on it. Godfather 2, many say, was better than Godfather 1. Right. But Airplane 2, please, Ooh, that's <laughs> come on. pretty good. Not as good, but pretty good, I got to tell you. Oh, and your standards are lower than mine. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I I would go uh, Empire Strikes Back over A New Hope, and I'm a Star Wars f- uh, fanatic. Okay, I agree. I agree on those two, but 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 seriously, Grease Two was just um, you know it just wasn't, and there were good people in it. Uh, Lorna Luft is a good friend, you know, and Adrian Zemed remains a friend. So it's not the people's fault. It was the piece. Uh, what we forget is Grease 1 was based on a successful Broadway musical. Right. Grease 2 was something to make money. Mm-hmm. And it did not have the good music. That music is, you know, is it, the Grease, the movie of Grease not only had the original move, um, music from Broadway, it also had Olivia's uh, John Farrar wrote several new songs and Louis excuse me, Louis St. Louis wrote another song, all of which were wonderful that were not in the the play. I mean, Hopelessly Devoted to You was mm-hmm. not original. John singing Sandy was not original. Um, you better you better shape up. The last one was just incredible. The, the fun house. So you, you, you can't repeat that. You really can't. And I speak to John all the time. And he, there's a Super Bowl commercial where they spoof uh, summer nights a little bit. Oh, really? You know, Greece is going to be around for a thousand years. It's never going to disappear. Greece is not a documentary. So the fact that we wound up with actors who are, say, closer to 30 than 20, I think worked for the piece. And you and you cast the whole movie. Yes, I cast the whole movie. So, so who, who, who did you have instead of John Travolta and Olivia Newton-John? Who else auditioned? 
None. The movie, the movie came about because of John, because Paramount knew the only way they could make that movie would be someone who distributors would, would be okay with. So John was there. John wanted Olivia when I was speaking to and John and I've known John since he was 17. So while we don't have dinner four nights a week, we, we, we talk a lot. Um, but he, he says, he said, what do you think of Olivia? Newton John said, that's a great idea. And she was on tour, so we couldn't really get her in for a while. But the more I thought about it, the more the, the better the idea became. And when, when we approached Olivia, she didn't want to do it. I mean, not so much didn't want to do it, but she was very unsure. Really? She was worried that she was a few years older than John. Um, she had done one movie before, and she didn't think she was a good actress. She was embarrassed about that other movie. She asked for a screen test. And I've never heard of an actor asking for a screen test before or since. That shows you how smart Olivia was. And when people talk about Olivia, they always begin with how beautiful and how lovely when they should begin with how smart. Mm. But we never do that with women. We always go to the beauty first. Well, and end of that comment. But um, so there was a screen test and I, I did the screen test and uh, it worked. Yeah, it did. Well, you're, I that's I'll definitely agree with you on the grease thing is that it will will live forever you know uh, but when shot and done you know there's i th- and that's the way television was at that time and we, we were still very race uh, i guess the the business was kind of racist maybe possibly oh, you could say that. I, I write in i write in my book that the 70s and 80s it was totally separate and unequal right in in all aspects and i find myself you know i realized at that point i was also culturally biased you know, and there is there is not one black person in Greece. Yes, there is one, one. and he's a member of he's a member of the band Shanana. Right. <laughs> but but uh, in 2019, we did concert tours in Florida. We would uh, sing alongs. So there would be a movie would be played with "Follow the Bouncing Ball," and the audience would sing along, and then John and Olivia would come out for a Q and A. And what I did was I wrote. I wrote phony audience questions for the Q&A in case there were no good questions coming from the audience. While I was there, I I went over to, there were two black women who were sitting close to an aisle. And just for myself, I I walked over to them. I said, I'm the casting director, so-and-so. I'm just curious, you know, there there are no black people or people of color in the movie. Just how do you feel? Do you think anything about that? And the women said to me, we love the movie, and that's the way things were at that time. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but it was always, you know, it's it's something that, in retrospect, always bothers me. Did you also, as a as a gay man in the business, did you have to through these through these times of of divide separation, whatever ism you want to put in there, struggle with casting closeted gay men and women in the business? Because at that time, nobody was coming out, right? No, nobody was coming out. I never had a problem with anything like that at all, at all. First of all, I was never in, so I couldn't come out. <laughs> you know, uh, all the people. And I also was very lucky to start in New York where nobody cares. But, you know, I was at a part of the business where nobody really cared either. And I had no desire to run a network. I had no desire to break through a glass ceiling of sort. And by the way, many gay people did in television. Many gay men became heads of networks or studios. 
later on. But that that never never um, it was a non-issue as far as I was I was concerned. And I would always be one time. Brandon Tartikoff asked me about an actor we'd cast in a TV movie, and he said, "Is uh, is that person gay?" I said, "I don't know, Brandon. Why don't you ask him?" <laughs> <laughs> Did he? That's my answer. <laughs> <laughs> Did he ask him? <laughs> of course not. But that's the way to shut that down. It's not. It's none of my, It's none of you. It's none of my business. If you're curious, ask him. Yeah. <laughs> The uh, next time you meet him, ask him. La- last one, and I'll let you go. Uh, Tom- oh, yeah, I can stay all night. You're fun. <laughs> oh, I, I, I appreciate that, and and I'd love to have you for forever and ever because I, one, one of my favorite, before I get to the Tom Cruise stuff, one of my favorite things to ask uh, a, a, an actor that I'll have on, you know, on the show is who was uh, who else was up for the part? Because okay. in my mind, and I'm a I'm a movie junkie, television show junkie, but I'm like a useless fact kind of guy. I like to know. Okay, I like I knew that it was Leaf Phoenix, not Joaquin Phoenix, in Parenthood. Those little things, when I see it, I'll research it while I'm watching it, just because I love useful, useless slash full information. Um, uh, the 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 stuff we'll get to again. We'll get to the stuff with Tom Cruise. But so in other words, in other words, you do well on Jeopardy. <laughs> Actually, I don't. <laughs> but I like to know that stuff. I, I forget where I was going with that. But anyway, Tom Cruise, you um, got advice at one time about Tom Cruise, and you ignored yes. it because you saw yes. something in this guy that became kind of a big deal later in life, right? Well, no, what happened was we were doing a silly, basically it was Superboy, what with different names. It was like a prince from outer space lands on Earth. And uh, the, 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 the wise person was, uh, um, was a, a Gossett, Lou Gossett. But it was the prince on Earth, you know, in disguise and how to deal with the superpowers. And um, so uh, Tom Cruise, against all of his agents and managers' advice, wanted to do this piece. Now, I had only seen, I'd never met him. I'd never met him. I'd only seen him do a movie called Taps, which yeah. was set in a boys' boarding school, and he was a villain. And he did such a great job in that movie playing a villain that I thought, well, this guy is very unlikable. No, it's the wrong choice for this. this yeah. Anyway, my assistant, a wonderful woman by the name of Mary Buck, uh, this is when I was head of talent at Paramount, said, Joel, you taught me never judge by one facet. You have to look at everything. And I, I didn't move from that position. And so we passed over Tom Cruise very stupidly to hire somebody else. Who did you hire? Uh, Peter, oh God, his name just went out of my head, but he was a current soap star on one of the NBC shows. His, 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 I should know it if I, if I looked it up, I, but I can't turn what, the pages of the book that fast. What, what year is this? It would have been um, late 70s. It would have been, uh, eight, I started working at NBC in 81, so it would have been somewhere uh, on, on ex- an extremely late 70s. And Taps came but, out, Taps didn't come out to the early 80s, I thought. Well, no, no, because it, it I was I was at NBC in, in, in 81. So it was very, we can look it up and you'll find it out very quickly, but I don't know. But I saw Taps and I made a mistake. Yeah. And one thing I do in the book is I admit my mistakes. This is not a book extolling that I was always right. I mean, this is a book which shows how, you know, I think the sex, drugs and pilot season shows all aspects of my career where I wasn't always right. And I all and I would never ever take credit for someone else. 
And like we talked about Golden Girls, and I talk about Judith Wiener being a sensational casting director, but Mary Buck was right. So I was wrong. So, but but and, but 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 then again, you never know what would have happened if we had hired Tom Cruise. Maybe he never would have had that movie career. Well, well that's that's what I'm saying is you know if you believe in which I do every you know there's a reason behind everything every, everything has a reason that kind of thing is Taps great movie George C Scott Timothy Hutton Sean Penn um, yeah. Tom Cruise the, it was just stacked full of. Uh, yeah. It was kind of like outsiders stacked with just so much talent, uh, raw talent. But then I think the next movie he does is Risky Business, which then shoots him into superstardom. Uh, well, if, if I'd seen Risky Business first, I would have had a different a different answer. <laughs> yeah. you know, and Risky Business, I mean, that, you know, Tracy Lords, you know, Bob Seger puts him in a different category in the 80s, right? Versus oh, yeah. versus yeah. what he did in the well, 70s. It's great. I, I, I have learned through a very smart boyfriend of mine that there are no coincidences. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everything happens for a reason. So, you know, you're, we're right. Yes. <laughs> uh, you are. You are just i mean a fascinating man thank you so much for for giving me all this time and my audience all this time uh there's more to the story a lot more in which everybody can read in joel therm's book sex drugs and pilot season confessions of a casting director uh like i could spend all day with you joel i mean but i want people to buy your book so i want to read your book too i do too and and you know they um I got a well. I'm I'm all flustered because I got a call from someone whose work and just on my machine. Um, you remember the name Sid and Marty Croft? They did a lot of cartoon shows. No, I'm not familiar. Oh well. Anyway, the point they 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 practically ran the business. They had all of it. But I got a call from someone I didn't work with. His name was Sid Croft on my on my machine, thanking me. He read the book and he was thanking me for it. And you know, it makes me feel so good. Because I really do explain so many things in the book that, that people just don't know how things happen and why they happen. And I, and I hope that this, uh, you know, sheds some light on, on a very mysterious area. Area. This needs to be a docuseries, you know, on Netflix. And, you know, every time you, you have a story that whether it's Pearl Bailey, Don Johnson, Ted Danson or whatnot, uh, then they are on, if they're obviously still around, to be on and explain how it happened in their own words, which would be phenomenal. Yeah. No, and, and Ted has, and Danny DeVito has, and Mary Lou Henner has, you know, at, at various times. But, yeah, no, they've been they've been wonderfully supportive and helpful in, in, in the book. So, hey, you know, it's uh, – this is my this is my third act and I'm enjoying it. <laughs> and that's a, and that's another one real quick is that you convinced NBC president Grant Tinker at the time to use Ted Danson for Cheers instead of William Devane, who's a fine actor. Um, but I can't imagine Cheers, you know, without Ted Danson. Well, as long as I can curse, we can end on this story if we if we have sure, to end. Please. Which is, um, uh, William Devane was pretty much exactly what was written in the script. But one thing that I was really good at was I always, uh, I looked out of the box. Okay, this is what's written, but maybe it'll be a little better if we move a little to the side or do something slightly different. So it did come down to those two actors, William Devane, who is a wonderful, wonderful actor. And I, and I knew him as a friend, too. And Ted Danson. But to me, it was clear, and Shelley Long, we agreed on from the very beginning. 
But uh, after the final auditions, we all, when I say we all, there were no women included, if you can imagine. And we're discussing, the, the executives are talking about the differences between two men. There's, you know, which one is hotter, which one is sexier. I mean, it, was, it was ridiculous when you come to think of it without having a woman in that room. But that's the way things were. And Grant Tinker was... I had worked with Grant because of the Bob Newhart show and other pilots I did for MTM. So we knew each other and he had just taken over. Fred Silverman was fired and Grant came in and Grant is a very, very proper man. You always see him very Brooks brothery, very, you know, um, Easter egg color sweater wrapped around his neck all the time as he was just on his way to you know, golf or tennis or something. Anyway, it came down to Grant and I arguing in front of everybody else, not arguing politely. And, you know, one of the things that Grant, and it just kept on and on and on. And, and finally Grant said, well, he's, you know, he's one of America's finest actors. How could, how could you say no for this? I said, yes, yes, he is one of America's finest actors, but not in this role. And finally I said, look, it comes down to this Grant. More women in America are going to want to fuck Ted Danson than Bill Devane. <laughs> and he made a gesture as if to clutch his pearls. He brought his hands to his neck and, and sort of leaned back in the chair a little bit. And the next time we went around the room, everybody was on Ted's side. <laughs> but so, I, you know, I, I, I have a mouth and I use it. And, you know, and, and, and my default, um, what do you call it, is foul, you know. But it but it works. I mean, if you read the book, you know what I had to do to get uh, what's his name, um, David Hasselhoff into Knight Rider. <laughs> you know, just, just so I, I, just so everybody knows, the reason why Ted Danson is a part of our television lives is because he's more fuckable. Than, <laughs> well, what do you think? Which one was more fuckable to you? Uh, absolutely, Ted Danson. I would, I would, okay, I, I would, I would lay him in a second. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll ask him if Mary will let him off for a night or two. So we'll see. <laughs> All right, Joel Thurm, Sex, Drugs, and Pilot Season: Confessions of a Casting Director. Uh, that is the book. Pick it up, buy it, read it, enjoy it. Joel, thank you so much for all this time. Well, thank you so much. This has really been fun. Anytime you want me back, I'm available. I'm, I'm cheap and easy, so anytime. <laughs> Aren't we all? <laughs> Get off my lawn. It's old man Kevin, and the BS is done for right now. Please share, like, and support. Podcastthebs.com. It's better than radio. Now, get out of here.